Hello, and welcome to History Reconsidered, a podcast dedicated to taking a deep dive into historical issues and events and relating them to the modern world. I'm your host, Jared Stepman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Samantha Mitra. And on this week's episode, we're going to focus on something that has become quite a meme in recent days. It started with a TikTok video with a woman saying that she just can't understand how her boyfriend thinks about the Roman Empire all the time, that he just thinks about it once a week, and she just can't understand this behavior. And of course, this became a massive meme on social media, on Twitter and other places, people wondering, why on earth do men think about the Roman Empire? And I do have to ask you, Asmatra, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I mean, where do we start? Like, <laughs> pretty much every single day. I mean, nothing in our life. I remember this thing, like, um, when, I was, when I was a history student, like, a long time back, like, in, in my undergrads, one of my professors came to me and said, like, you know, nothing that you're seeing around you uh, has it is not related some way or the other to the Roman Empire. Everything that you're seeing around you has happened in some way or form in Rome. So I think I think I think that the meme kind of goes back. Like I mean, even the ancients like used to think about the Roman Empire. And by ancient, I mean my history teacher. They used to think about the Roman Empire all the time. So you know, so yeah, every day. That is an important thing in the sense that. We think about the Roman Empire when we don't even think we're thinking about the Roman Empire because exactly. so many of the, the traditions we have and so much of what's around us, certainly if if you live anywhere in you know, continental Europe, they're literally physical uh, symbols of the Roman, but even in our, in our language, in how we speak, how we think about politics, I mean, you know, in the U.S. we have, we have a Senate, we have, you know, our, our architecture in, in the... Uh, in Washington, D.C. is basically neoclassical architecture, and we see these things all the time. Of course, the founding fathers of the United States understood the connection to to the Roman Empire and to Rome. Um, but it's just it, it leaves such a shadow over Western civilization, the, the long history of the Roman Empire from from its beginnings uh, to its end, which really, I think, if you want to talk about the, the longer history of the Roman Empire, and I think it's something that we're going to hit in the show. You know, it goes beyond just the you know the fall of the fall of the republic and, and and the death of Caesar and the and the rise of Octavian Augustus. It really continues on for another really fourteen hundred years uh, to the point where the Eastern Roman Empire falls uh, to the to the Turks in the in the in the in the sack of Constantinople. So we're talking about most of recorded human history you have the existence of the Roman Empire. And for especially Western civilization, this was it. I mean, this was it. Uh, this is kind of the, the origin, origin of us all uh, and left such a shadow in, in of course, the medieval, medieval era and even, even today. So we thought this was a, 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 good, a good launching point to discuss the, the Roman Empire. And I think that really, I think, it's important, of course, in, in this discussion because we launched the show uh, because we believe that there's a, a dearth of discussion about deep historical topics where you can talk about history and, and politics. And, and academia, I think, has, has very much failed, uh, failed the average person to communicate topics that are incredibly important to our everyday lives. I think one of the things we'd like to point out is this 
you know, it shouldn't just be men that think about the Roman Empire. It should be women, too. It should be it should be all different kinds of people. But I, I don't know. I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. Why do you think uh, people do think about the Roman Empire so much? I mean, obviously, you know, as we discussed here, it is all around us. But there are a lot of people who, who think about history in the Roman Empire. Why do you think that is? I think the point that you made about <clears throat> the the lack of genuine good historical studies and research in the academy, which throughout our history, by the way, influenced men to join the academy, uh, has has changed. And I think I think that's a sad case. Like one of the things which I, I mean, yes, obviously, as a historian, I like the fact that, you know, Rome is having its sunshine days again, like everyone is talking about it on social media. Fair enough. But uh, but the framing of the question also like, you know, like, why do men always think about the Roman Empire? I mean, I'm, 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 uh, you're absolutely right. You, you know, it's not just about men who should think about the Roman Empire. You talk, you know, there are people who are like, oh, well, we don't need to think about the Roman Empire because it's European history. And I'm thinking like, hang on a minute. You know, when you say the capital building, do you know where the word capital comes from? Capitoline, you know, in, in Rome, you know, the, the fundamental idea of Western civilization, as you mentioned, you know, it's I mean, yes, we got democracy from the Greeks um, and the basics of philosophy and theology uh, and, and mathematics. But at the end of the day. The civilization that shaped the world, and and in even in far places like India and China, with their trade and you know and the and the roots and the Roman roots and everything, is Rome. It's it's the center of of human knowledge and human history and development that happened uh, in in that particular area, and then it just kind of like started spreading all around. I mean, they named the sea Mediterranean, the middle of the earth. You know, it's it's it was right in the middle. From where it started spray, spreading, uh, and the second point you mentioned about um, uh, the fact that how Rome shapes us every single day, um, I I find it fascinating that the subject of Rome can be such a polarized thing inside the academy. I mean, it, it kind of speaks volumes about why people are talking about Rome, because these are the subjects that naturally influence people to talk about. You know, you're, if you and I like history, we would like to talk about the Roman Empire. It need not be, you know, it, it, the academia, as you mentioned, should influence and encourage people to, to talk more about these things, which they don't. Um, Rome is such a successful a case of human history and the transitions that happened in Rome from a monarchy and a small kingdom to, you know, the uh, to increasing, you know, with the Sabines and, you know, spreading their the Roman men and the Roman seeds and then, you know, conquering the nearby villages and then turning to a republic where there's the senatorial patrician class, you know, which is, the, by the way, the basic design of our of our own government in, in the U.S., um, and then moving, like inevitably moving because of overstretch and because of Indonesian fightings and everything, moving to, towards an empire, towards tyrants and towards, you know, dictatorship. And literally everything that we worry about has happened in Rome. Everything that might happen has already happened in Rome. Everything that could have been has already happened in Rome. So much so that after Rome fell, even the Byzantines, after the Byzantines fell, Europe throughout history, even after that, tried to take up the mantle of Rome. There was a Holy Roman Empire, which essentially took the name of Rome and continued up until the Habsburgs, right? The different, you know, German empires called them Kaiser based on C Caesar. 
the Russian emperor, emperor called himself the Tsar, based on Caesar. Even the Ottomans, when the Ottomans first conquered Istanbul, the I think it was uh, the the Ottoman emperor called himself the Kaiser of Rum, which means I'm the Kaiser of the New Rome now. You know the fact that people throughout history recently with the ISIS, you know, monstrosity that was happening in Middle East, there was this one terrorist leader who said, we need to conquer Rome. They even now people think that's the, that's the pillar of achievement, whether you are standing in support of it or you're opposed to it. That is the, that is the lodestar. That is what you need to be. You know, it, it is funny how Rome leaves such a legacy that even though people who, the peoples who defeated the Romans picked up the mantle of the Romans. Even even in defeat, Rome held such a, a power and sway over people. I mean, Rome was civilization. And yes. so, you know, when you had other various peoples who followed the, I guess, the, the old Romans, uh, they oftentimes adopted Roman customs, Roman ways of politics. I mean, you know, multiple, m- many different civilizations who came thereafter picked up the mantle as you said i mean of course the the visigoths and the the days just just before the kind of what people think of as a traditional dark ages were very much uh even though they were a a barbaric people the way the romans would have seen it really picked up much of uh roman culture and in roman ways i mean this was just this was very common and and even when rome collapsed and fell it's the it's it's long-standing institutions had fallen there was a deep desire, even among the kind of Germanic uh, barbarians of Europe at one point, to recreate uh, what had been what had been Rome because it stood for for order, it stood for civilization. Um, you know, Rome really was certainly in the West um, almost the first modern state in the way that we think of a state. Yeah. I mean, that's I think what really sets it apart it was almost unimaginable and to, and to the people who lived through it especially in its early days the idea that uh, rome just seemed like it was a thing that would that would continue on forever and i think that's what gave it a, a lot of its power and even in the days in which it wasn't doing as well or it was in decline uh there was an attitude that it would always come back that rome was essentially uh the eternal city and I think you see that even in the days where Rome starts to fade and, and crumble, uh, there are many peoples that come after who try to recreate something that it had. I think that leads to its its enduring qualities um, in creating order and civilization and stability and, and having a political system uh, that changed drastically through its lifespan, which was very, very long, maybe even longer, I think, than, than people fully realize. I, I think it is fair to... Uh, called the, the so-called Byzantines, certainly yeah. a legacy of Rome. I mean, they adopted many of the, the, the laws and political system from the, the original Roman Republic. I mean, when they recreated their law codes uh, under Justinian, uh, they were basically they were basing that on long-standing Roman law that dated back to uh, the, the 400s BC. So this was part of a much longer tradition that. While the people themselves were, of course, very different, uh, the the political institutions ha- had thrived in their evolved form, and that makes it an enduring legacy of one of the great empires in the world. Certainly, yeah, I think I think the fact that you mentioned the the Visigoths and the and the barbarians, the, there's this interesting uh, 
paragraph in Gibbon Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Rome uh, of the Roman Empire, where he he mentioned that he said that like you know I'm, I'm quoting this, I'm reading this from from the book. The first of the periods may be traced from the age of Trajan to the Antonines, when the Roman monarchy, having attained its full strength and maturity, began to verge towards its decline, and will extend to the subversion of the Western Empire by the barbarians of Germany and Scythia, the rude ancestors of the most polished nations of modern Europe. This extraordinary revolution which subjected Rome to the power of a Gothic conqueror was completed about the beginning of the 6th century. So fundamentally, <laughs> the, the interesting part of this is um, just like Athens lost to Sparta in the Peloponnesian War, but Athens' influence lived on far, far longer than Sparta. Likewise, Rome got conquered by barbarians who in turn got civilized by the influence of Rome. And they turned up to be some of the you know most powerful and civilized countries of Europe, like Germany. So this is and and Gibbon was writing this in in the in the 18th century, and and I think I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, it's again, it's it's that adoption of a longer legacy. Even those those who had conquered Rome, you know, Rome kind of conquered them too in, in a weird yeah. way. Even when they they no longer when they cease to exist because. Uh, of that long, long legacy. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm thinking kind of the, the kind of other reasons why it's important to think about Rome and, and why people do think about Rome. And I think about something very strongly, especially as history is kind of taught in the modern world and yeah. especially how it affects, especially, I guess, maybe you could say a, a lot of men. I, I think that it's a very common thing in history to see everything through social forces, through kind of a, a bottom-up uh, kind of history. A lot of the kind of great man histories of the, of the, of the 19th century have, have fallen by the wayside. And I do think maybe there's something appealing, especially when there are many figures in Roman history who are larger than life and charismatic. Of course, you know, Julius Caesar being chief among them. Uh, this kind of idea of the kind of great man of, of history kind of guiding events. And I think you do sort of see that, especially as the Roman Republic transforms into what we think of as the empire, though I, I, I kind of sometimes hesitate. I mean, people oftentimes draw a sharp distinction between the Roman Republic and empire. And, and sometimes I think it's too sharp of a distinction. But there are there is an age in which the Roman Republic leads itself to many charismatic figures and, and I, I think legitimately uh, great men whose names are still prominent in our own history today i mean you know cato cicero cedar i mean these are these are some of the the original characters of western civilization and i think there's this desire to kind of recreate some of that greatness this idea that you know this isn't just a world of 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 mass peoples and mass movements it's also a world in which you know, individuals can can direct kind of the flow of history. And I think you see that certainly, I think, in the interest in people like Julius Caesar, who was a, a very good uh, writer on top of being a, a great general and politician and and see that as sort of an inspiration. I mean, you can you can do great things. You can you can kind of direct the flow of history. And I, I wonder what you think about that, because I it is something I you notice in history, this diminishment of the kind of this great man idea of how we look at history. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, I personally believe that um, history should restart thinking about great man theory. Um, one of the 
one of the reasons why we do not think about the great man theory is because how the academy has shaped towards more structural causes compared to uh, individuals taking up and and changing the course of history which is um sure it's understandable but that kind of like i mean i i think the pendulum has swung in the opposite direction a lot more uh compared to how it should be like i mean yes there are structural causes to the things and even in rome you know there were like uh, warfare and poverty and you know conflict and and rivalry and all these kind of things that shaped the history of rome but to completely discard individuals um especially uh, you know in in modern history is not something which i think is prudent i think individuals agency has agency has its place uh right next to structure and it's the balance between structure and agency that kind of decides uh history i think one of the things which i think uh is important at this point is um like you mentioned cicero for example and i i have this quote from momsen about cicero cicero uh that cicero had no conviction no passion he was nothing but an advocate not a good one he understood how to set forth this narrative of the case of piquancy of anecdote to excite if not feeling at, at any rate of the sentimentality of his hearers to enliven the dry business of legal pleading by cleverness or witticisms mostly of a personal sort and and i read this from momsen and i think you see that that's happening right now in the senate and the house you know that <laughs> that, that the, the fact that you know a, a lot of people you know they're they're taking subjects of extreme importance of 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 you know era defining uh, concepts and they are fundamentally just ignoring all those things and talking essentially about you know sophistry and 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 you know someone is pulling the pulling the uh, the doorknob uh, <laughs> <laughs> thinking like it's a you know, it's it's a fire alarm and he thinks like it's the door obviously he's lying you know and and, and that's part right. like i mean one of the part one of the reasons why the story is so universal is it's not new and it's timeless and you can see that in the writings of momsen talking about rome a thousand years back right so that had already happened in rome like there were people like that even then and and it's just incredible to me to to even think of that way i think the the two the three major reasons i would think why people should study rome or even think about rome in even in normal times is because one the span of history as you mentioned it's massive you know from the start of the roman monarchy like 700 years before the christ was born you know and 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 just continued up until formally up until the 14th century uh, to the end of the byzantines and then even after that in its you know weird way in in germany and austria and and russia and all these parts of europe um i think that's part of the reason i mean so that the, the span is just so massive that there is nothing in your life that has not been shaped by by rome in a way and you have to kind of like trace it back to its ancestry and you reach the logical point of rome but i also think um the transition is something which humans constantly fear as well and i think that's that's part that kind of like plays in our plays at the back of our psyche you know that we 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 any i mean you might fear democracy right and and it would be like look what happened of you know the conflicts in in the republic because there was just too much democracy and people are just you know there there was no unity um you might fear dictatorship and then you know that obviously that has got parallels in rome you might fear tyranny and empires you know americans especially the foundation of of america was opposed to this unilateral power you know americans would always fear a caesar as they as they say you know i mean that, and and that and that's the that's the story of america even the 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 funny thing is you know both the left and the right uh 
you know, frame their arguments as they're opposed to tyranny. I mean, that is itself the the amount of influence Rome still has on our life. It's like, you know, everything that you say, you have to frame it in that lens of, of opposing tyranny. Like, where does that come from, from Rome? You know, so I think the transition is also, it's also very important. And obviously, you know, language and culture, we're going to talk more about that anyway. But I think the tragedy, the, the transition, the tragedy of Rome, well, if you see it as a tragedy, like some people might think that Caesar was a, was a, was a good thing compared to the Republic. But overall, the fall of the, the collapse of the old Republic, you know, it's in our culture. You watch Star Wars. I mean, what is the story about? It's a story, it's a metaphor for Rome. You know, so I think I think that's part of the reason. Those are the three reasons I would imagine, like tragedy, uh, transition, and the span, the, the 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 span of human history that Rome covers. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that especially that that human drama between the fall the fall of the Roman Republic, the, the birth of the empire, it was certainly a, a period of deep transition. And I think that especially in our modern world. I think we see around us, I, I think we see ourselves in a state of, of transition. And there is this idea. Look, I, I know that in the West, we have this maybe sort of obsession with this idea of you know rise and decline. And have we hit the stage in America in which uh, we're seeing the, the fall of our own republic, that, that things have changed here so dramatically, both uh, politically, constitutionally, and culturally, that uh, we're going to end up as something very different at the end of this, that are we in a period of, of, of revolution in which uh, the old constitution will fall and something new and perhaps much worse will, will replace it. So I think that there is, you know, you talk about the comparisons to Rome, and I, I think it litters our entire history. I mean, in American history, there was always that fear and maybe a, a rightful fear that uh, our decline and collapse was just around the corner that, you know, we've been on the up for so long that, that this is where we've turned a corner into decline into, into a new dark age. And I think that that does, I think, rightfully, uh, weigh on the minds of, of many Westerners. Now you could say that it's a good thing that we do think about this because, you know, it, it prevents you from becoming a decadent civilization that's willing to rest on its laurels. We should always be considering how to, re-enliven our own civilization but i think that especially you know in recent years in a kind of confused world the kind of comparisons to the fall of the, of the republic the chaotic stages uh that led to caesar and and the wars that followed that and then the rise of augustus and then a new imperial system uh based more around the power of yeah. the emperor rather than the power of the senate does matter and of course you know rome did go through a great transition now one could say that there were elements of the Roman Empire, empire if you want to call it that, that were much more stable uh, than the late-stage Roman Republic, for sure, which was very chaotic, which was full of civil war and violence, even preceding uh, Caesar. When you talk about the wars between uh, Marian and Sulla, who were yeah. really precursors uh, to yeah. Caesar. Um, but we see you know, maybe some of those comparisons in our own time. And so I think that you know, when we see an unstable world, we we hearken back to this era, which was full of of human drama, which is full of very high stakes and large personalities. What what way are we going to go, Western man? And right. for Romans, we saw which way they went. And I think for us, we have those own questions that are being posed to us right now. Which way are we going to go in this time of transition? 
I think you mentioned a very important point, and I, I saw that, you know, we, we discussed that before as well, I think, and that kind of like falls in part of the transition point of Rome is you mentioned decadence, you know, of, of, of our civilization and kind of that harkens back. And I, I wanted to go to that point a little bit more. Um, the story of Rome is also not just, you know, the change in the system of governance, but it's also a change of the theology of, 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 of the polity. And, you know, it, it, it starts from a pagan society and it transforms uh, to a Christian society so much so that it essentially transmits Christianity throughout the Christendom, which was the original, you know, the origin of Europe, essentially in a story. Uh, and I think like I've, I've been to the, the uh, cathedral in York where Constantine uh, went and, you know, and, you know, there's this huge statue and stuff and 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 you know it always kind of fascinated me like you know when when i ask people like when do they start thinking about rome like for me for example when i was in my middle school you know in my history class i started reading about the romulus and remus and you know the wolves and all that but that's those are like fantasy stories and the origin of rome and fun but seriously thinking about rome is when you travel around in in you know the middle of england uh the north of england and you see the the span of the empire um and then you realize that hang on the the when this happened um that was not when rome was christian that was when rome was a pagan republic which was expanding but it's that same polity which changed its entire theology and as a matter, it changed that that kind of got reflected in its governing polity and changed the system of governance as well. And it continued the same things that it was doing before, just from a new you know set of uh, ground rules in a way. And I think that is fascinating if you look at our own society changing from I don't know a, a deeply religious society to a post-religious society to kind of like a semi-religious society with a different sort of religion uh, at the top. You see the, you know, you, you see different flags on top of government buildings. You see a holy month, you know, they are, the, the, <laughs> the, the factors are all still there, but the governing theology has changed. And I think, I think that itself makes you think on, on what is the next stage, as you mean, like where, 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 where does it go? Like it, I mean, if you think that, you know, it might lead to something, it might, so, okay, so on two, on, on two ways, <clears throat> one, it might lead to an imperial system, which by historical definition, like when a republic sort of collapses, there is a uniting power which comes and essentially takes the reins uh, with power and force and just pushes through his own vision, right? So that's, so that's one thing. But on the other hand, if the theology has changed from a uniting theology to one, which is basically a pagan theology, um, how does that affect this united governing principle? Like, on one hand, you have this imperial system of governments. On the other hand, you've got this pagan theology, which is increasing every single day, right? Do they clash? Do they affect each other? How do they shape each other? What is the, what is the future? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that's a, that's a great point that you raised. When was the first time you started thinking about Rome anyway? Like, I, I always ask people this question. Like, when do you... First started reading about Rome and started thinking about Rome. You know, maybe it gets to especially why young men, especially like Rome. I think that I think it always starts with in liking Roman military history and the, yeah. the history of the the Roman legions and 
Um, I, I think that that leads to, especially for young boys, to a lot of, ah, uh, you know, you think about conquering your enemies and, uh, and having <laughs> yeah. this uh, seemingly invincible army that, that crushes all around you. You can't be beaten. You can't be stopped. I think that that's kind of, you know, in the early days when I was very young, you know, I thought about the Roman legions, the army. I didn't think as much about the politics of it. It's just, to me, the idea of conquering the known world was a, was a fascinating thing for, for, for a young boy in particular. And I think that that, I mean, look, the, the history of the Roman military and its evolutions and what it is, is, is very interesting and fascinating that they created a military that fought various peoples uh, around the world successfully and through their history. I mean, that is part of the success of Rome. It isn't just their political system. They had a military system that very much worked uh, and helped them conquer for them what was the the known world up to its very right. outer limits. And even suffering defeats and setbacks was able to rebuild armies and defeat their, their opponents. And I think that the, especially that the Punic Wars, the wars between uh, Rome and Carthage were particularly interesting for me as, as a young right. boy because they're these great epics. I mean, you know, we talk about World War II or these other wars of modern history, but the Punic Wars are right up there where the fate of the world's decided. I mean, it, you know, the battle between Rome and yeah. Carthage, two of these great powers of the Mediterranean fighting to see who will be the, the hegemon of, of the ancient yeah. world. Uh, it's so fa- it's so interesting. I mean, you know, the Titanium, they have, you know, World War One, Two, and Three happened in the ancient world between right. the Romans and Carthaginians. And yeah. there's so much you know, human drama that leads, of course, up to the eventual destruction of Carthage, where it's uh, it's literally, uh, you know, Carthage is destroyed. It's the, the yeah. earth is salted and you have a uh, Roman general, you know, weeping because he realizes that someday this will be Rome's someday fate too. Someday this would happen to Rome. Absolutely. Yes. That's and a fascinating so I, chapter. I think that that really captured my imagination as a, as a young man. And um, I, I think that that for me was kind of like, wow, this is really interesting history. And uh, for, for a young boy, that was something that really captured me. But how about you? Like, what was the first thing that you were interested in when it came to Rome? I, 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 similar, I, I started reading about, uh, well, I, I mean, we were taught the basics of, of history, uh, in, in my school. Um, but I, even after that, like I started reading about the, the military history of Rome, you know, the Roman conquest, Rome was quite popular even, you know, when we were growing up, you know, it, we were talking about the, the movies like Ben-Hur and, uh, <laughs> you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like I, 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 this is a special episode and, you know, we kind of, kind of try and figure out just how much Rome influences even our popular culture. But, you know, obviously when I was young, I couldn't see the metaphor of Star Wars and Rome, but I grew up and then I kind of realized what that was. Um, but um, I think I think the first thing that I started seriously reading about Rome was uh, Machiavelli on Hannibal. Um, when he was talking about how, you know, Carthage, what what led to Hannibal, like Hannibal... Hannibal's system of disciplining um, treason and, you know, in military history. And I was reading, and this was the time of the, the early days of the, of the war on terror. And I was thinking something we are doing in Iraq, which is not true. You know, <laughs> you, can, you cannot discipline people just by winning hearts and minds. You know, there is a, there is a template. We, <laughs> we, we should, we should go back and look at history and this has been done before. Um, and then, you know, obviously military tactics and strategy, Begetius, who is a 
who is a Roman historian of, I think, the third century, um, he wrote a book on the organization of the Roman military, which was it's a really small book, actually, and we can just buy from Amazon. Um, but it, it talks about how, you know, you cut off the head of, of a mutiny and then you let you forgive the everyone else. You know, you, that, that was the show of force. You know, you, you, you make an example of the ringleader if there is a mutiny, but you don't make an example of every single one of them because you don't, you, you need to maintain that balance. And I was thinking of those things. And I realized like every time I talk about politics these days, you know, there is this urge of either not doing anything at all or, you know, go all the way. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, you know, again, there is a thing, you know, you need to just go back and read history. You know, there are templates of, of dealing with these things in the past. You know, you don't have to go all the way. You don't have to, you can make a show of force and then move back. The interesting thing about this is our, in, our previous forefathers, actually, you know, our forefathers used to read these things and use them in their daily life. For example, when Lord Pelio went to bombard the Algerian pirates and slave traders. He didn't have enough ammunition to even go to a war. He just wanted to make a show of force. And he went and bombarded for one day and then sent a really good letter saying like, hey, we don't want to keep on doing this. Why don't we just come to a conclusion? And the other side was so afraid, they thought the British and the Dutch are actually going to war with them. They came to a, they came to a, you know, a, a negotiation and a settlement. settlement. And, I, and I think of that and I think like, you know, these guys used to read the Roman literature used to read Vegetius because they're the imperial Brits, you know, that was their, you know, the mode of governance. They used to read the Roman historians and try and see what wisdom they can get from there. And I think, why don't we do that these days? You know, when we are talking about the Ukraine war, for example, you know, you don't, you, you don't have to like completely not see at all about what's going on, but you also don't have to go the, the entire way. Uh, so I think, I think, I think reading about Roman history, uh, Roman military strategies is something which also kind of like pushed me towards towards more study, further study. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. It's funny, you know, talking about, you know, our, our forefathers thought about the, the Romans all the time. You know, I think <laughs> about... A lot more than us. A lot more than us. <laughs> I mean, really, that's, that's the funny thing. You know, I think about the founding fathers of the United States and yeah. General George Washington uh, right. had Cato a Tragedy, which was written by Joseph Addison, he had it, it and it reenacted at his at Valley Forge. Like he had this played out that the the of course and I do recommend reading Cato a tragedy. It's a very you know kind of patriotic kind of track about Cato who resisted tyranny and resisted Caesar and and killed himself rather than living under 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 tyranny. Um, and a lot of the great quotes from from the founding fathers are direct ripoffs either from Addison or Roman history. I mean you know right. when you talk about. Uh, much of that 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 time period. I mean, you talk about um, Patrick Henry's speeches are very much ripoffs of speeches of of Cicero. Um, <laughs> it's 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 you know there was a lot of that's going to be the most controversial statement of today's podcast, <laughs> and it's true, and it's true. I mean, look, they were ripping yeah. off lines directly uh, from from these plays. Um, you know, uh, I think one of the 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 the, the quotes is you know a, a thousand years. Uh, of of tyranny is not worth you know the same as one day living under uh, under freedom and, and and liberty, and you know these quotes kind of became part of the American founding. They were direct ripoffs from Addison's play and Roman history, and you know they right. were very much thinking about you know the the the, the founding fathers were were larping as they say. I mean they were they were playing <laughs> out that what what they had known from their own history, and of course these are all 
very much studied men and who are who knew a great deal about history and suddenly saw themselves in history. Suddenly, you know, history was right there. They were doing something yeah. that very few people in history even have an opportunity to do, which was create their own country. And and so they looked to the ancients in the past, especially the the Roman Republic and Empire for for their own inspiration of course they saw the the rhymes in their own time and of course they studied a much deeper history not just the roman empire but for for their inspiration and for what they saw is hey what are we going to create the culture we're going to create the country where we're going to create you know we want to have the 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 liberty of the roman republic and the strength of the roman empire you know that was kind of one of the, the things that some would say and so yeah. they they look back to to the Roman empire as, as a, something of inspiration, something that would inspire them uh, during the American revolution, the creation of the American Republic that, you know, they hoped in their wildest dreams, hoped that would last somewhere even a, a fraction as long as, as right. the Roman empire did. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think again, like you, I mean, I'm constantly quoting Momsen today because he's one of my favorite, you know, historians, uh, um, but but he 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 he's, he was brutal about Cicero, by the way. So uh, but he, he, there's, this, he there's this place where he's writing about Cicero, like as a statesman without insight, idea or purpose. He figured successively as a Democrat, as an aristocrat and as a tool of the monarch and was never more than a short sighted egotist. <laughs> and I and I think about that and I think and I and I just look at our modern politics. And I'm like, you know what our forefathers thought about Rome. They wanted to imitate Rome. Um and look what what is happening today, um, and it's it, it's it's all kind of like a a, a fake pastiche and Peter Hitchens's word, uh, you know, of of you know small men walking through grand corridors meant for much bigger men. So I think I think that's uh, that's the kind of thing which obviously Rome pushes us towards. Um, I wanted to I actually wanted to ask you about something. Um, you mentioned that um, the. Yeah, I, I kind of like want to focus on like why do, when we talk about Rome, like we tend to talk mostly about just the Western Roman Empire. And I know that's historically not accurate, but why do you think cultural difference and that kind of, you know, there is this division between, you know, the Western and the Eastern Romans, obviously. And we, we tend to ignore the Eastern part, although technically they were a lot more successful. They were a lot richer. And they live and they and they survive for a lot longer than the Western Roman Empire. So why is that? Why do you think that is? You know, I actually, I, I, I do think that that's, I think that's unfortunate to a certain extent. I understand, I think, why that is because, to a large extent, and maybe this is partially also the division that took place within the East and West. I mean, the West eventually followed the Roman Catholic Church, which became kind of the heart yeah. of Western civilization. The East split off religiously and i think that does actually make it that that is kind of dividing line between east and west i think you know it's it's important to understand when we say western civilization western civilization means is basically western christendom eastern civilization right. isn't you know when we, people say eastern it's it's not necessarily china or asia it's eastern christendom which would be uh the byzantines the 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 basically the eastern eastern orthodox uh, on the other side of it. So I think that maybe that has part partly to do with it because, you know, in the shadow that the, the uh, Roman Catholic church holds over the West kind of defines the limits of what we think of as modern Western civilization. And 
uh, Christian civilization that doesn't follow that path kind of gets left out in histories. And certainly yeah. there was a lot of tension between those two sides in later eras. However, I will say uh, that it's unfortunate that we don't study more of Eastern Roman history because there is a huge amount of political history there and a great deal of success. I think the idea that, you know, even the word Byzantine has become synonymous with uh, a dysfunctional system that is overly complicated that, uh, but I think that's actually somewhat unfair to the, the Byzantines who wouldn't of course call themselves Byzantines. Yeah. They would have simply seen themselves as Romans, Greek Romans, uh, yeah. but Romans nevertheless. Uh, I think that's a bit unfair because of course, as the Western half of the empire collapsed, the Eastern half lasted for over a thousand years thereafter and was one of the great powers of the ancient world. Yeah. I would actually say in the modern world, it's kind of a, a uh, vestigial part of our world. It's, it's like a missing limb that now uh, has been missing in certainly throughout the Middle East, which is this great kind of Roman Christian uh, empire that had such an impact on the world for well over a thousand years and had many great uh, emperors and had many great generals and leaders. I, I just almost countless ones. Certainly, the age of Justinian, I think, is of yeah. great interest to historians in modernity uh, because of what was created there, both politically, legally, and militarily. Uh, I would put it right up there, you know, with the great triumvirates of of you know what we think of as Western Roman history. You know, when you think of uh, Justinian and you think of yeah. Belisarius and you think of Turbonian, like these are the great, you know, men of history. And yeah. it's unfortunate that more attention hasn't been paid to that part of the empire, which has a rich legacy and has a lot to teach us in our own times. And so I, I know for me, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't think much about the, the Byzantines like many other Westerners don't, but I think that's a mistake. I hope maybe, maybe at some point, you know, that'll start to become corrected as people start to learn more about the, the Eastern half of the Roman empire. Right. I, I actually, I, I totally agree. I kind of find it weird that we, we tend to, like you, like you mentioned, like we, we talk about Byzantines as if it was like dysfunctional. It, it wasn't really dysfunctional. It actually was one of the most modern bureaucratic system um, that we know. Um, and, and also, foreign policy-wise, or even like political maneuvering and all that kind of stuff. There is this nice documentary, obviously, it's a little colored, uh, tainted in a way, um, because, you know, it's obviously it's a little biased. It came from Turkey. But it is actually a documentary that's on, I think it's on Netflix, about the, the rise of the Ottoman Empire and the conquest of, of, of Constantinople. And the interesting thing about that is we, we tend to obviously see that as a very black and white, like the, the Eastern Empire was rich, it wasn't that powerful. It kind of like didn't have any support from the West. The Ottomans were just extremely powerful and, you know, the Eastern Empire collapsed. But it's actually a lot more complicated than that. The Eastern Empire had problems within its own ranks. You know, there were, there were different ethnic rivalries because it kind of like overstretched in a way where it couldn't control the, the various factions within the the empire and one of the some of the empires were like you know we should come to a negotiation with the ottomans the other was like no we should just they're the italians who are here to help us uh, you know uh, and the 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 fleet from rome is just going to come any moment and we're going to fight and 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 you see those 
<clears throat> those you know uh, maneuvers within the empire and it's kind of similar to how things are happening with the expansion of nato for example right i mean the, it's it's by definition that the more factions you have within an alignment it would be a, a case of too many cooks you know you you just you just cannot there is a limit to human expansion up on after that it is a liability it's a fact. It's it might it might be harsh, but it is a fact. It has happened throughout history. But also, some of the uh, more interesting trends of human history that we see today can be seen in those days as well. Hungarians, for example, balancing between the Ottomans uh, and the and the Byzantines on on, on two sides. You know, um, there are Hungarian merchants selling cannons to the Ottomans, for example, knowing that oh, there is a power of the East, and we have to negotiate because we are a small country and we are right in the middle of Europe. You know, you have to be a more balancing power in way. Um, Mara Brankovic, who's a very favorite character of mine, there is not many good English history books, and I might write one someday myself, but this is a Serbian princess. She's a Christian. She's a stepmother of an Ottoman prince, and she is uh, a, a great, you know, negotiator between the two sides and kind of like a diplomat in her way. And look at the amount of boxes it takes. It's a woman, you know, people don't talk about women diplomats of those days. Here is a woman diplomat right in front of you. Who, who, and there should be a thousand movies about her because, you know, it, she's such a realist character, uh, you know. And also part of the reason why like, when people say like, oh, it's only men who are thinking about the Roman Empire. And I was like, hang on a minute. You have these role models that you should think about. They are Romans. You know, they are from the Roman Christendom and they are part of the, the, the maneuvering that happens with the Eastern Roman Empire. It's happening, you know, in, in, in history. And you should think about these things. So I think I think you're absolutely right. I think I think it's a tragedy. I think it's unfair to just focus on Rome as in the sense of the Western Roman Empire. I think I think we should start looking. I think part of the reason which might influence a lot more people to even think about Rome is if we show the not just the historical span, but also the, the geographic extent of, of, of the spread of Rome. Absolutely. I mean, and, and also, you know, how the, the Byzantine Empire, you talk about, you know, foreign policy, how they were able to survive for so long uh, in, a, in a time and place in which they had many threats uh, on their borders uh, and yet managed to survive and thrive despite great wars great calamities of the plague um quite remarkable record and of course at a time in which in western europe uh most of the armies were at the level of what we consider almost like at the level of a small band uh yeah. you know very small armies in western europe the byzantines were able to field a professional military they were it was very one of the very few in the ancient world at the time they were able to do that because they had a very cleverly built centralized state uh, that was able to kind of consolidate, you know, the, the peoples that they taxed uh, and was able to create a small professional army uh, that was was built to deal with multiple threats on the frontier to, to kind of fight a, a sort of defensive war until they could fully mobilize to fight their opponents. And they did this for a very long time. It helped them defeat, you know, many, many opponents, of course, they're more famous ones being the Persians, uh, but many other opponents that, that, that came to challenge them. In fact, I mean, at some point they even went on the offensive under Justinian uh, right. and, uh, and uh, Belisarius and actually retook the, the part of the Western, they, they reconquered Italy. 
and then decide yeah. later, well, this is not really worth holding on to, um, which is kind of a funny thing. It's, you know, it's a poor backwater and there are too many threats there. We're just going to give up on this dream. But they were able to, to do that. They were able to reconquer, you know, old Rome. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot to learn there from, from that history, certainly in foreign policy. You know, they, they fought as kind of a great defensive power of the ancient world. And we're able to survive right. for a very long time as, as, you know, basically the richest uh, and the strongest, you can almost say, almost like country, like a proto country uh, in, in the kind of Middle Ages, um, which is a, a remarkable record. Again, you know, needs more needs more studying and needs more attention um, uh, in, in, in coming years. I, I hope there is more. There's 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 definitely a lot of good literature and. Uh, there's a good, actually, another good podcast called the History History of Byzantium that I, I definitely recommend uh, to get more information about the, the Eastern Roman Empire. But uh, it's absolutely something to pay attention to. What do you think is of, of the cultural legacy of Rome? Like, what are the kind of things that? I mean, obviously, we we have spoken about um, uh, Ben Hur. We have spoken about Star Wars. But what other cultural uh, things that you might think about, like when you when you think of Rome? Obviously, See, the it, series it, of Rome comes to play. <laughs> so you're talking about my favorites. I mean, one of my favorite series, which was the HBO right. series, uh, Rome, which was actually yep. written by the famous John Milius, famous Hollywood mm-hmm. screenwriter, which I think is a, an absolutely brilliant series, not just because it's it's fairly, fairly historically accurate, but it actually, I think it deals with a question, again, that we kind of talked about as one of the ones that's on our mind, which is, you know, the fall of, a, of an old republic uh, and, and how people deal with that. Um, and I think it's one of the interesting threads of that whole series. And unfortunately, uh, it stopped after two seasons. It was apparently supposed to go to a third season, which would be uh, the birth of Christ and the, the, the kind of beginnings of the Christianization of Rome. So you, you have all these incredible things happening at the same time in Roman history. You have the you know, Julius Caesar, you have the fall of the Republic, you have the birth of Christ and, and the beginning of Christianity, all happening within basically a hundred year period. Absolutely uh, incredible amount of world changing events happening at the same time. Uh, but what I think is so interesting about the Rome series is, you know, again, all these people dealing with the downfall of the Republic and, you know, how they deal with it. You have two characters who kind of become the main characters is not uh, Julius Caesar, uh, but two characters and these two roman soldiers uh lucius Verinus and titus pulo who are actually mentioned in caesar's commentary so they actually sort of are historical figures be- that were referenced by julius caesar in his commentaries as two kind of lucky soldiers who seem to always be everywhere now given maybe he was making it up very possible uh for for dramatic narrative but i think really yeah. serves the story very well because you get a, a man especially in in the case of lucius Verinus, who is clearly not of the original Roman stock, but you, you think of as that kind of, you know, middle class is not the way to say it, but he's kind of the, what you think of as the backbone, the soldiers who fought for the Roman Republic and created uh, yeah. the great territorial expansion, dealing with the fact that you know, the old Rome of the fathers doesn't exist anymore, that the elites have basically sold out. They know that, that the game is over. They're now fighting for power. And he's struggling with this fact that, you know, he's in Caesar's army when they cross the Rubicon. He says, I can't believe we're crossing the Rubicon. Um, But he has to deal with the fact that, you know, his republic that he thought of uh, no longer exists anymore and is changing. And he has to and he has to go along with that. He's he's a product of the historical time which he lives. 
And I think that that they do such a good job of, of course, bringing these great characters to life uh, and then dealing with those those issues that I think confronted people of that time. Again, it's the it's the human drama and, and the things that we can see in our own time that make it so interesting. I think it, it's, you know, why Shakespeare, you know, in his writing Julius Caesar, it, it leaves such an impact on us. We probably think more of his play than we think about the actual historical events. That's right. Um, that's but right. it is a, such a great backdrop for to talk about human psychology and, and government and, and the way we live. And so it is a perfect backdrop to how things are. And I think that's why it has such an enduring qualities. No, I agree. I I remember watching that Rome series, and there were like two instances which was absolutely pitch perfect in in cinematography and and you know screen and screen time and acting and everything. That one was when you mentioned Caesar was crossing the Rubicon, and Mark Antony was just riding next to him and saying like for a, for someone for for a bloodstained conqueror who is entering Rome, you look remarkably you know uh, calm. And Caesar just looks at him and says, like, I'm glad that I appear so, you know, and it's, it, it was absolutely fascinating to see. And one can one can actually imagine that happening in an earlier time. Obviously, we are not privy to what conversations was going on between Caesar and Mark Antony in those days and, and that time. But you can absolutely imagine being in that position and thinking the exact same thing. Like on one, you it's a, it's a roll of the dice. You know, it is. Uh, what it is you know now nothing it, there is a, there is no stepping back from here uh, you you can't do anything about it and the second thing you mentioned about julius caesar it is i think one of the greatest i mean one of the reasons why shakespeare is like the greatest you know writer poet um and and you know of the ancient time was when mark Antony was giving the speech um after caesar was murdered and this is a guy who knows that the public is on his side, um, but he is also powerless because he's surrounded by people who li quite literally <laughs> murdered uh, the greatest, you know, uh, dictator that Rome has seen at that point of time. And he's saying something um, extremely volatile, which might turn the public against uh, against these people. But he has to say that in a very diplomatic way, and he just constantly, you know, the, this use of of uh, anaphora the same repetition of the same uh, phrasal structure of, of a sentence uh, and obviously shakespeare didn't uh, I, I i don't know if he did study uh, rhetorics and anaphora and you know ascending for colons and all that kind of stuff but he's he's, he's talking about you know he was my friend faithful and just to me but brutus says he was ambitious and brutus is an honorable man and every time he says that his anger and the pitch of his voice rises it's absolutely phenomenal how brilliant English language can be. And if you combine, you know, drama with the drama of Rome with the beauty of uh, classical English language, it is, it is absolutely timeless. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the, I think culturally Julius Caesar, the series of Rome, these are the kind of things that Ben Hur obviously is one of my favorite movies. Um, Birth of Christ, a whole, whole different you know era which we probably have to like devote uh, an entire you know <laughs> uh an entire episode um i also do think uh, some of the small things like gladiator the movie or barbarian the the tv series they have also kind of like uh, brought the questions of of roman culture and the, uh, the culture that influences influenced by rome uh, to our forefront i think that's a good thing i think there should be more um, I, I, I'm kind of worried uh, when I say that because <laughs> the next time there is a Rome series that comes up that might be like completely different and they're just going to ruin it. But 
but but on the other hand the historian in me kind of like wants to see more anyway yeah you know i i, I definitely welcome it even in the case of you know you talk about gladiator which wasn't wasn't very historically accurate um right but it was it was interesting there were great i think character performances of that for sure and it certainly revives an interest in the time period and the people i mean that's that's what you know a lot of this media and movies and that's what they do even if it isn't historically accurate it does lead one to be interested and curious and i think many certainly were after you know russell crowe's brilliant performance and you know walking yeah. it, it, it was it was it was a highly entertaining movie um that uh, i think really you know i think got a lot of people interested who wouldn't otherwise have been so and of course yeah, right. you know people get interested in, in the in the violence and in the brutality but you know hey maybe that is to a certain extent our connection to to the romans of old who themselves clearly had a fascination with violence and brutality uh, in yep. the gladiatorial games that, you know, had a had a very long run in in, in Rome and, of course, had had its own run in, in the kind of Eastern uh, Empire with the the uh, the chariot racing, which became I mean, look, the the the, the love of sports uh, was very common in in ancient Rome, you know, where to the point where uh, sports teams actually had political power, uh, certainly in the case of the Byzantines, yeah. the Reds and the Greens and, and the Blues, um, excuse me, the Greens and the Blues. Um, so, you know, that's that maybe that's sort of, you know, our own connection, you know, of course, sports has a huge impact in, in Western culture today. Um, you know, we, and we have the NFL football and all these things that are sort of almost like a, a hearkening back to the old gladiatorial game. So even, you know, we're not just talking strictly about politics. There are other, you know, currents in the way we, we live life and how we see things that do, right. do, do have a connection to how the ancient Romans saw things and did things. Yeah. No, I think I think even the I was I was recently seeing the Emily Steinbach. Um I, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Emily Steinbach's um uh, recitation of Horatius, the poem about this one single man in a bridge facing a whole bunch of army. And it, these are the kind of things that instinctively fascinates people. Like, fine, yeah, I mean we are doomed. What's what's there to lose? You know, we're just gonna <laughs> just gonna fight until the end. What books would you uh recommend to our to our listeners about about Rome? Yeah, it, it you know it's a funny thing you know we we talk about you know books at the end of our episodes and I think that when it comes to to Rome it's such a it's such a vast topic um, <laughs> that it can be a little overwhelming um, you know I think a lot of the the original kind of classics of Rome are worth reading you know you can't go wrong you know reading through Plutarch's Lives you you yeah. can't go wrong reading through Livy who kind of writes about early Rome. Um, yeah. So I recommend, you know, reading some of the original tracks of Rome, but I will recommend some some more modern books uh, to to kind of bring things alive uh, for readers. I, one of my favorite Roman historians is a man named uh, Barry Strauss, who wrote an excellent book called The Death of Caesar, which, of course, is about the famous death of Julius Caesar and of course the backdrop for yeah. Shakespeare's play and and so much of probably maybe the most dramatic uh written and rewritten story in human history at this point uh but he's right. got other good books too he's got another good book uh called 10 Caesars which uh, kind of highlights the lives of 10 of the great Caesars of Rome you know not just through, you know obviously following the the republican period these great men some of whom are are I think less known in history but really an excellent yeah. book he also has another one called uh the war that made the roman empire which is about the battles between 
uh, Octavian and Mark Antony that kind of settled what who who would be in charge of the Roman Empire when it fell. And it's just some really great history uh, of that period. I would also recommend for those maybe interested in kind of the, the military aspects. Um, there's a there's an excellent uh, historian named Adrian Goldsworthy who's written yes. about uh, the armies of Rome. He has another book called uh, Pax Romana, which is just kind of about the, the Roman peace. Um, also really excellent books. I mean, if you really are interested in the kind of the, the Roman legions and the military history, he does a, such a, a good job uh, of writing about it. I, I highly recommend those books. Very readable and really uh, just I think they will capture your imagination uh, as well. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think I would I I would absolutely recommend uh, Adrian Goldsworthy. I uh, I mentioned Begetius about the Roman legions. I think Goldsworthy takes it like a takes it forward, and he, he, that's that's a comprehensive study of of the structure of Roman or Roman army, and I think that's a great book. I also would recommend uh, Mary Beard's SPQR. It's tonally a little challenging at times if you're if you're coming to read about Rome from a very favorable perspective it's now it's a little critical at times um some some people might find it a little, little smug um but i actually think uh it's a really good book it 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 is very comprehensive it actually points out to a lot of things that people don't really talk about you know the organizational structure of rome the polity the the you know relations between men and women and how they used to talk so i think those are very good i obviously i'm gonna recommend uh tom holland's dominion which is a great, great book uh, on 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 the on on Europe and Rome and and then the spread of Christianity, and I would recommend the two classics, which I think every single man should study, <laughs> not just historians. It's Gibbon's uh, Fall, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, and Mommsen's Theodore Mommsen's History of Rome. Uh, two books which shaped the way more than a lot about how I think about collapsing civilizations. And if you don't have that sense of tragedy, you can never be a good historian. For a good, you have one of the things, important things about being a historian is to know that everything that you hold dear is gonna be, it's, it's doomed, it's gonna, it's gonna be dead, it's gonna be destroyed at some point in time. Um, and I think, I think that sense of tragedy is what makes one contemplative. So I absolutely recommend Gibbon and Momsen on Rome. Yeah, those those are great recommendations. I'll I'll throw I'll throw one more out there because you know we talked about kind of the the great men theories of history, and there's one actually called um, it's by this man named James Frude. It's, it's called Caesar a Sketch. It was actually written in the late 19th century, and it it is very much in the kind of Thomas Carlyle great man of history moving events. It's called Caesar a Sketch, but it's very well written. And it's really, it's just about Julius Caesar. And uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, certainly praiseworthy of Caesar. I think maybe a lot of Americans aren't quite used to a book that praises Julius Caesar to the extent that it does. Um, but it is actually very well written and, 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 and I think very entertaining and, and, and quite insightful. And I think that I, I would add that one too. And just a great bit of writing uh, for those who are interested in, you know, studying the, the great man Caesar. Uh, I'll, I'll add that one too. But uh, I think that's going to be about wrap it up. I think we, we want to <laughs> discuss more about the Roman Empire. You know, we think about it all the time, including other empires. 
And so there will likely be more episodes in the future that deal with Rome and Roman history. There's almost there's almost too much to talk about. Again, yeah. the, the breadth of history, the, the detail and the kind of uh, lessons that we have in our own day. So there's definitely a lot more to talk about, but I think we're going to save that for future episodes um, and, and talk about that later. So we're very uh, happy that you've joined us on this episode of, of History Reconsidered. Uh, hopefully you keep thinking about the, the Roman Empire, uh, yes. as we certainly will. So until next week, thank you all for, for joining us.